And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. forget the men who died who gave that right to me and i gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today cause there ain't no doubt i love this land god bless the usa Welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel, and today our guest is going to be Jason Fick. Uh, Jason uh, ventured into the uh, social media space in 2010 and built a following of over 38 million, and I mean million, followers. And uh, as a result of his activity on the internet, uh, he eventually got banned by YouTube and uh, they uh, banned his sites. Uh, he lost a tremendous amount of revenue because at the time that he had that 38,000 uh, or 38 million followers, he was also generating somewhere around $300,000 a month in revenue from advertising. And they decided they didn't like what Jason was doing, and so they shut him down. That started a battle royale because uh, Jason has been before the Supreme Court twice on uh, this very issue. Sadly, he had some very bad decisions uh, before the Supreme Court. Now he's back in district court in the state of California. And what is being debated and what is uh, really troubling is the section 230, uh, Title U.S. Code, uh, Section 230, that uh, basically was put in the law supposedly to protect free speech, and in fact, it became a club of uh, social media big tech. Jason's going to be talking about what's been going on with that and the impacts on the United States and really literally all over the world because of censorship, because of manipulation, and because of the control of the internet space. So, uh, Jason, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, my friend, for joining us. And uh, you go ahead and fill in the blanks of anything that I missed there. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Dan. And uh, I think today what we're going to do is we're, we are going to connect the dots. I'm going to walk everybody through exactly how the industrial censorship complex came to be. Uh, I have been watching this basically uh, happen since 2012. I did want to make one uh, correction to what you said. It was not YouTube that took me down. It was Facebook that took oh, me down. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Facebook. So 
let's let's rewind right let's let's start the story back when when it really started um 2010 i started on facebook and i created a page and then some things happened and my life sort of turned around and i i ended up with this really big story to tell right i, I wanted to tell people what happened to me the the government denied me my first amendment right they they essentially and most people don't even know this um I was arrested for taking a cell phone video in a public parking garage of a small fight where nobody was seriously injured. And I was arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit first degree attempted murder. I was a witness, right? And what I was doing was constitutionally protected. So a lot of people don't realize that one of my motivations for doing this is I've had my rights stripped by the government, right? I've, I've had them come up against me. I've had them throw me. I mean, I, I know what J6ers are going through. I've been through it. Now, it wasn't politically driven, but I understand it. And what I did should have been protected by the Constitution. But, you know, the problem there is, is that if you're to try and beat, you know, this kind of, you know, government interference, you still have to go through hell to do it. Right. They still have to go through trial. People said, oh, well, they cut deals. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you're sitting there facing the rest of your life in jail. You'll cut a deal. And amazingly, I didn't cut a deal. And, and when this finally got in front of a judge, like an honest judge, the judge actually asked the prosecutor, what did he do wrong? Can you believe that? I had spent two months in jail facing two life sentences for something that's constitutionally protected. Not, right then and there, I realized that we have a problem with this with this country. The, the government has gone off the rails. They use it maliciously to attack any kind of opponent they have. And it's not always political. Sometimes it's economic. Sometimes it's ideological, religious, you name it. If they don't like it, they're coming for you, right? Mm-hmm. I saw the problem early on, like much earlier than most people. So I went and I built this audience on Facebook in order to express my, my uh, story, right? I wanted to tell people. And that, of course, is how we get information out, right? That's how free speech works is the freedom of expression works if you can express yourself. If they can chokehold that expression, you lose free speech. Now, the thing is, is that the Internet, they say, well, the Internet, you can express yourself. Sure, make your own platform. But if you don't have distribution, you got nothing, right? You may as well be be in a closet yelling at the top of your lungs. Nobody's going to hear you. Right. So I, I started building this audience and I built aggressively, very aggressively. In fact, I mean, it was so aggressive. I even bought up other people's pages. And it was funny because at the time we were really broke, like really, really broke. The the jail thing with, with Baltimore and that corruption had absolutely destroyed me, destroyed my business. I had no money. I'm literally facing bankruptcy and I'm spending money on on buying up pages. And my wife was looking at me like, what are you doing? Right? We couldn't afford food, but I'm buying up pages, and I, and I kept telling her. I said, distribution is everything. I need to be able to reach people. Right, You, you can't get a message out if you can't reach people, right? Mm-hmm. And see, that's the fundamental thing that people don't understand is if you, if you can control that reach, you control people. You control everything, right? So – this is before I knew exactly how bad big tech was. So here I go and I build these pages, you know, and I'm building lots of pages and they were basically, you know, basically mean pages. They're just funny stuff, right? Anything and everything. And, and in between there, I could put, you know, I, I realized that I could start advertising and um, funny story, which just is kind of a crazy story. I had no idea how to make money yet. I'm, I'm virtually going to lose my home. And um, 
I reached out to a, a company, uh, I'm sure you've heard of them, College Humor, right? Big company, does funny stuff. And I asked them specifically because I had no idea what I was doing. I, I just knew I had a lot of fans. And I said, you know, are you guys interested in me sending people to your site? Like I can distribute to my audience, right? And they said, uh, no, we only work with corporate partners that can send at least a million hits a month. I said, a million hits a month? I, I can do that today. And they said, excuse me, what? And I said, I can literally do that today. And she said, well, can we set up a test? And I said, it's already done. She said, what do you mean it's already done? I said, go look at your analytics. And all I hear on the other end of the phone is, oh, my God. Oh, my. What did you do? I said, I sent people to your site. You got to stop. Why? You crashed our servers. <laughs> so what happened is, is that I had so many fans, right? And at the time, I think I counted them. This was early 2012. I had 16.8 million fans. BuzzFeed only had 9.7. I was gigantic, right? Now, they were never about my fate. Like, nobody knew who I was because I just ran stuff from behind the scenes, right? It's just They were just company and funny pages and so forth. But I crashed their servers in three minutes. Now, why was that? It was because I could actually reach my audience. They didn't have a chokehold on that distribution network, right? All, all a, a big tech company is supposed to be is a conduit, right? That's why they're called interactive computer service providers. The interaction is between the user who sends the information and the user who receives the information. They're just a conduit. That's it. But they control that conduit, meaning they're the chokehold. Mm -hmm. And see, what happened was, and, and it's funny, to, to end that story, I, I asked her, I said, are you – are you interested? And she said, yes. I said, are you going to pay me? She said, yes. And I said, how much? And she goes, I don't know, but a hell of a lot. <laughs> My first two weeks, $114,000 from dead broke. I bet your wife was pretty happy about that. Well, she finally understood exactly <laughs> what I meant by distribution is everything. And see, the thing is, is that now the reason I'm telling you this story is, is because we're going to connect the dots that's your first dot. So what happened was these companies realized that in, in providing information, right, providing that content, they control the chokehold. So they're a dominant party, right? They, they control it, right? So I'm sure you're familiar being a dominant party, meaning because they own the platform, they can legitimately restrict one and advance another person's content, right? They control who wins and who loses, they figured that out. Now, this was way back. This is back 2012, 2013. Well, all of a sudden, they changed their business model. This is when they went from a so-called engagement business model to an advertising business model. You remember? Do you recall any of that? This is way back, right? Well, let me put this in different terms for everybody so that people understand exactly what that shift was. They went from being a platform to being a content provider. They shifted. Now, the reason I'm saying that they're shifting is because originally the engagement meant that they were facilitating the interactions, right? Engagement. And they went from facilitating it to restricting those interactions in order to extort money to reach the distribution channel. They literally went to content providers themselves. Now, almost everybody misses. Courts miss it all the time. And the reason generally is because you know, most of this internet law was back when, when most of these court judges 
didn't even use email. They had no idea what was going on. They, they only know, knew about this law, right? Which, as you said, it, Title 47 U.S. Code Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That's its formal name. Most people call it just Section 230 or 230. What does this law do? Simplified, it gives them specific civil liability protections when they do certain things. Now, currently, courts mistook this law so much that they think it is blanket immunity for anything and everything they do. This is the second dot. So the thing is, is that if you are a platform, bad things can happen on their platform, right? I'm sure like, you know, somebody, Joe, Joe, John Doe, he posts some child pornography. Whew, that's really bad, right? Well, the courts, you know, um, don't really discern what is and is not bad content. It was Congress that decided, you know what, we're going to give them an incentive to be able to take that kind of content down and still not be treated as the publisher or speaker of other content that happens to remain on their site. Now, this is where Section 230 comes in, and I'm going to explain Section 230 in the most simple terms so you understand what nobody seems to understand. Courts haven't been able to grasp this yet. They're just finally grasping that their law, their precedent, right? Because everybody says, oh, all the precedent. Yeah, the precedent's wrong. I can prove precedent wrong in all sorts of ways because the courts and judges didn't get it. So, so let's break this law down fairly simply, okay? Um, I don't know if, if, if one of you can do a screen share, but if you want to look up Cornell, Title 47, U.S. Code Section 230, just look up Cornell 230, right? Let's actually walk through what this thing says because most people don't know, and it's really simple, okay? Um, it should be on there. It'll, it'll come up as, as Section 230. But the first – so there's different sections to it. The first portion tells us what the findings are. It has Congress's intent. And it was literally intended to facilitate free speech. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's doing? No. That's, that's not at all what it's been doing. It was not designed specifically to just make these big tech companies leviathans, right? They're, they're not supposed to have blanket immunity. So the question is what are they protected from? Um, and if I don't know if I can share a screen because I can pull it up on my own if you'd like. Oh, no, I think Supper's got it ready to go, it looks like. Excellent. Okay. So as you can see, A is the findings. That's what Congress decided, right? Mm -hmm. And let's scroll down. B, section B is the policy, right? So this is what the United States was thinking. It says to promote the continued development of the internet uh, and other interactive computer services and under other interactive computer media. Right? to preserve the vibrant and competitive free market that presently exists on the internet and the interactive computer services unfettered by federal state regulation. Wait a second. So you're telling me it's in writing that they wanted to preserve the vibrant, competitive free market. Well, Facebook just wiped me out, right? Now, I'll explain how they did it, but they wiped me out for their own financial gain. And then they hid behind this law. Mm-hmm. That, that goes completely against what the United States intended to do, right? That's what Congress – they didn't intend it, it to be a, a, a protection for anti-competitive behavior. It's antithetical to what they're saying here. So now let's go down a little bit further to Section C. Section C is the portion that everybody is dealing with. Okay. So Section C, if, if you, know, you read this here, it's real simple. It's protection for 
Good Samaritan blocking and screening of offensive material. So that is what's called a long title. It's it says what there's what the intent of Congress is, right? It's the motivation. Now, if we look at this carefully, just as it's written, they get protection. What is protection? It means they can't be held liable for something, right? But do you notice something strange about Good Samaritan? Well, it's quoted. Yeah. It's quoted. Mm-hmm. And that was that was really what unlocked all of this for me. I thought to myself, why are there quotes on Good Samaritan? That means somebody said it, right? There, there are. It's somebody articulated those words. Who articulated it? Congress. That is what is known as an articulated, intelligible principle. That was the basic intent. Now, this is going to kind of blow your mind because I guarantee you nobody has talked about this. Are you familiar with what an affirmative defense is? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of self-defense? Mm-hmm. Right? That's probably the most common one. The basic principle of self-defense is, is that you have to be acting in your own safety or for the safety of others, correct? Right. right. That's the basic principle. That's the intelligible principle. Section 230 is also an affirmative defense, right? So it's not authority to act on behalf of the state. It's saying that if you are to restrain somebody else's rights, the state will protect you. It'll give you protection if you are, and wait for it, a good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. There it is. It's right there, black and white. Well, and Jason, we've all experienced this uh, on this network, especially. Uh, we've experienced the censorship that uh, we'll have uh, a, a video or a program up on YouTube, and they'll block it uh, as offensive material because we'll have something on there like uh, maybe a guest who is questioning the efficacy of the COVID-19 uh, clot shot program. Things okay. like that. Uh, we've had that happen so many times, I don't even want to tell you. So you're well, right. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Would you say that they were acting as a good Samaritan to protect the public? Certainly not. That, that's what a law like this is for, is to protect the public, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the premise here is, is that they're acting as a good Samaritan in the interest of the public to do what? The job is right there. Block and screen offensive materials. So you're saying that they blocked and screened your materials, they're claiming it's offensive. Are they being a good Samaritan? Well, see, here's the thing. A lot of people think that that's a decision for a judge. It's not. That decision's arbitrary, right? It's subjective. Mm-hmm. Well, when there are subjective facts in a case, judge doesn't decide that. That goes to the jury, doesn't it? Correct. Right. Otherwise, you would just get summary judgment. You instead, you actually go to the facts of the case. The tr- the the case goes forward. You find out discovery depositions, and you find out were they a good Samaritan. Now, people would say, "Well, yeah, that's irrelevant. That's the motivation. That's just the title." And we and we say, "Okay, let's just take it for that." So that's just the basic principle. They call it a general provision for short, but it's an intelligible principle. The baseline is, is that they're supposed to be acting as a good Samaritan. So let's let's put it in the context of what a good Samaritan does. Good Samaritan may be subjective, but there's two basic principles to a good Samaritan, right? So like let's let's say, for example, there's a car accident on the side of the road. And somebody's driving down the road and they take a different road and they don't even see the accident, right? 
they can't be treated as the person who caused the accident or who was in the accident, correct? Because they had no involvement whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Or that person may take the road, see that there's a, a car accident, and they may voluntarily choose to stop and go render aid. Pretty much how Good Samaritan works, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if they render that aid, they would have to act in good faith to, to help the person out. So, for example, let's say car accident happens. They're up against the, the median strip. Guy jumps out of his car, runs over the car, and he busts the window out because the car is on fire, and he drags him out of the car. And in the process of doing that, the guy that was in the car accident gets cut by some of the glass. He would not the, – the person that helped him would not be liable because he acted as a good Samaritan, may have caused an otherwise unlawful act, right? He, he harmed somebody. But he did so in good faith, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty simple analogy. All right, well, let's look at what this does. Treatment of publisher or speaker. This is, unbeknownst to almost everybody, this is where the mistake of this law occurs. Everybody thinks that they're just, they can do whatever they want because the term good faith, which is in 230, if you look down in 230C2A, it says any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material. So if they're taking your content down in good faith voluntarily, and then they go on and they say, well, it says considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessive, or otherwise objectionable. And he says, well, that's too broad. Well, that's why they're getting away with this because judges are saying, well, it, they can consider anything otherwise objectionable. Remember who considers what is otherwise objectionable is not a judge. It's the jury. So then you have to ask yourself, well, why aren't these – why isn't this going to juries? Why aren't exactly. we getting discovery and deposition? Yeah. Aha. See, I'm about to connect the dots for you here. Ready for this? What if I told you that 230C2A never applies? Never. Out of 500 cases, right, that they did – they did a study on this. Out of 500 Section 230 cases, do you know that only 19 applied to C2? Everything else was C1. Seems odd, right? Do you think all those cases were about treating them as as the driver or the 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 person who caused the accident? No, they didn't. So let's let's unpack why it went wrong. Okay, ready for this? This is going to be a mind blower. This is literally this is the holy grail. Let's put it that way. This this is it. This is what went wrong. This is how the entire internet went went all sideways. Let's read this. Treatment of publisher or speaker. No provider user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider, right? Mm -hmm. Plain English, what does that mean to you? What does that mean? You're a good Samaritan. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not a publisher or a speaker. No, let, let's take it for what it says. You're, you're going back to the good Samaritan part. Yeah. What, what does that sentence mean? What does that mean? What does that whole thing mean to you? No provider using an interactive computer service. So who's that? That's either the platform or another user, right? Right. Shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider, meaning they're not supposed to be treated as somebody else, correct? Okay. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. So it's the who that matters. They can't be treated as someone else, right? All right. Well, ready? I'm going to blow your minds. The courts didn't read it that way. They changed one word. 
and they do it interchangeably in almost all of the precedent, and that's why it's contextually screwed. All of it's messed up. Ready for this? I'm going to change one word. Listen to the change in the meaning. No provider user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another. I just changed the who to a what. Mm-hmm. I changed the entire meaning of the sentence. Just by changing what's called an in, a, a definite article, the, and change it to an indefinite article, a. Now, I love this. My opposition, all the trolls out there said, oh, that's just semantics. <laughs> okay. You've heard the term letter of the law, right? Mm-hmm. If you take the S off of she... It changes gender, doesn't it? <laughs> if you add an S to a word, it generally pluralizes it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So to change an entire article fundamentally changes the written word, right? It's wrong. And see, there's the differences. There's two ways to look at a law, the letter of the law or the spirit of the law. Well, we already looked at the spirit of the law. They weren't trying to protect anti-competitive you know, Mark, they were like trying to protect the free market. So spirit of the law, they've got wrong. Oh, and the letter of the law, they got wrong. In other words, it doesn't matter how we look at it. It's wrong. Now, here's a kicker. If you can't be treated as a publisher in the general sense now, that's that's what 230C1 became. Isn't restricting access to or availability of materials a publishing function? You would think. It is. Mm -hmm. And if you can't be treated as a publisher, but you can also be a secondary publisher, right? Because the publisher already exists. That's the original guy. That's who put it there. Mm -hmm. But if they act secondarily and can't be treated as a publisher when they are a publisher, now all of a sudden they can do anything to anyone for any reason – they want c1 swallowed c2 it rendered it superfluous that's why uh, only 19 out of 500 cases have only been c2 is because in those cases they probably argued i mean like if you were to flat out say oh i want my pornography on your site they could argue okay that's obscene lewd lascivious and they would win right Mm-hmm. But what's happening is these courts are saying these these big tech companies are coming in and saying we can't be a publisher, even wow. though they are a publisher. Hmm. And we argue this is impossible, right? There's these things called canons of statutory construction. It's the basics of the way laws are written, right? Mm-hmm. One of those basic things is is that you have to consider a set a law as a whole, right? You have to consider CC1, C2 all together. If you consider it as a whole, it then has to be harmonious. It's got to make sense, mm-hmm. right? And the whole, concept, not, the whole concept behind fully informed juries, it's, it's uh, exactly it. Yeah, you need all of the information in order to be able to make it make any kind of sense. Otherwise, you're picking and choosing. And that's unfortunately what they're doing in the J6er cases. They're taking isolated subsections and they're pulling pieces out of it to to just bastardize the law. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. But so if we consider this as a as well, actually, believe it or not, there's another canon of statutory construction. I, I love this one. It's called the absurdity doctrine. 
You can't write a law to be absolutely absurd, right? It just makes no sense. Mm -hmm. But see, here's the thing. So we argue that, that C1 was essentially subsuming C2. C2 was useless. It wasn't harmonious as a whole text. And believe it or not, we went to the Ninth Circuit Court, and the Ninth Circuit Court said, and I love this one, they said, no, 230C2 uh, is a separate grant of immunity, meaning separate of C1, perhaps because they developed information even in part. Okay. First off, C2A has nothing to do with development, right? It doesn't say anything about development. It says to restrict access to or availability. So it's it's in the negative, not the positive, right? So, but there's a problem there. If flip side of a coin, right? Proxy. If you're deciding what to restrict, you, you are also technically uh, deciding what to develop, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You're picking winners and losers. Mm. Well, let, let's just scroll down for a second to... F, section F, right? If you would, Thumper. F, section F is the definition section. Oh, look at that. All right. F3 is the one that we're going to specifically look at for the moment. Information content provider. So that's what these big tech companies are. Everybody talks about them being a platform. The term platform is not used on this at all, right? Publisher is only used in the context of the publisher or speaker. So what is an information content provider? The term information content provider means any person or entity that is responsible in whole or in part, you hear that? Even minutely for the creation or development of information provided to the internet or any other interactive computer service. It doesn't say add, it says or, creation or development. Creation simple. If they're responsible for creating information, we all know that they're a publisher, right? Well, no, they're actually not. See, this is the confusing part. They're content providers. Publishing is the act of making it available. The publisher is the person that pushes that button, that makes it available to the public, right? It's the difference, like, for example, if a, if a chef is making a meal, serving it is the publishing, making it is the content provision. Correct. They're different. Right, they're they're slightly different, but they're different. This is why they confuse us with terms. They, oh, they can't be a publisher, blah blah blah. It's irrelevant. Content provider is what we're we're looking at. So the, the thing is, is that creation we know what it is, right? It's bringing content into existence or or making it, whatever. What's the term development mean? Hmm. Well, it says in whole or in part. So if they're responsible even minutely for development, they become the content provider. Well, they said, if you go back up to C again, if you would, I'm walking you through this, the way this law has been screwed up. C, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to to I. C2A again says restriction. Well, if they're deciding what to restrict, they're deciding also what to develop. So that would make them content providers in the, in the, con, in the, the um, purview of 230C2A, they would be content providers because they're deciding both what to develop and restrict. It's both con both of those are content provision decisions. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's content provision. It's like development and de development. It's the same thing. It's just the flip side mm -hmm. of the coin. So 230C2A has to do with content provision, where C1, right, if we read it correctly, it means it can't be treated as somebody else or something that somebody else does, meaning they're not the driver or the person who caused the accident, meaning 
they're not developing anything. They're not making any content provision decisions at all, are they? Hmm. They're not involved. And therefore, if they're not involved, they can't be treated as the one who was involved. It's that simple. Effectively, what you're looking at is if you wanted to boil this entire statute down to the very simplest terms, 230C, that's the motivation. 230C1 is inaction. It's when they do nothing. They can't be treated as the one who did something. And 230C2 grants them a specific side, not development. They only can restrict content. So the question that that actually the, the Supreme Court was wrestling with is, and I was just looking at Judge Kagan, right, in Gonzalez versus Google. She said, well, where do we draw the line? Like, how do we draw the line? Ah, see, this is where the line actually is definable. It's intent. If you're aiding and abetting in a crime, it comes down to the intent, right? Did you know? Like, if somebody gets in your car, they just robbed the bank, and you don't know that they robbed the bank, you're not aiding and abetting them. If you know they're robbing the bank, your intent changes the entire you know perspective of, of the crime, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the same situation: is the C is the motivation, C one is when they don't aren't involved, and C two is if their intent exceeds a good faith restriction, they are then developing the content that they want, right? Maybe they like vaccines. Maybe they don't like your position, but if they're doing the restriction in order to advance other content, they are content providers in part, right? right? They're responsible in part for everything that they're advancing. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. All of a sudden Mm -hmm. the entire internet just changed, didn't it? Exactly. So why do you think the courts don't want to fix this? (laughs) Did Mm. I just blow your minds? Yeah. Because even the Supreme Court got got this. They, that uh, Judge uh, Justice Kagan was saying, even if we go with your position that they are in fact responsible for this, and all of a sudden Google will be liable, and Google saying, "Oh, the sky is falling." Yeah, for the big tech companies, mm-hmm. fixing this will smash them. Why? They built their algorithms to be biased. Now, for a while there. We argued this. We went all the way to the Supreme Court, right, the first time. I have just explained what's wrong with the entire law. It's mm-hmm. really not that hard. It's a clerical issue. Did, the let me ask right. you something, Jason. Sure. Did you did you get the opportunity to do the the uh, uh, description and and actually uh, take part in the, uh, the presentation of the material for your case? So. Yes. Uh, okay. So if you mean as in terms of writing the briefs and so forth, yes, I, I am not a licensed attorney. Mm-hmm. I have, I could probably sit for the bar at this point. And the reason yeah. being is I have a semi-eidetic memory. I figured out what this was. It, it was an epiphany moment when I was, um, <laughs> it was true story. I was watching a judge Napolitano. He was talking to a class about natural rights, right? Mm-hmm. It's the kind of stuff I do in my off time. So I'm watching him, and he says, he asks his class, then I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you know what the most important word in the right to free speech is? Probably the. The. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, James Madison, right, one of our founding fathers, argued in the Federalists that the most important word in the right to free speech is the word the, because it denotes that we already know that it exists. Mm-hmm. If it already exists, it existed prior to any potential abridgment. It's natural born or God given. 
It's a solid argument. It's a definite article. We definitely know what it is. Give you another example. If I said to you, um, can you get a, can you walk over to the white uh, to um, I think there's a White House. You don't know which White House that is, but if I said go to the White House, mm-hmm. you know exactly where I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're defining it in the article. That's exactly why that's so important in that sentence is because it 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 changes its meaning it makes by changing it. Sense. Yeah, it exactly. Makes sense. It's mm-hmm. it then harmonizes the entire statute where you got the motivation, inaction, and action of Good Samaritan. That's it. It's over. That's the whole thing. It, it fixes it. So the so, thing is, so uh, if, if, if the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Correct. It already <laughs> exists. Mm-hmm. You already have it. There's no argument. It's not as though it's a. So if it was a right, it might have been given to you. Mm-hmm. Given meaning it's it's a uh, what a, <laughs> it's a difference between a right and a privilege. Exactly. It's not exactly. a privilege. You mm-hmm. already have it. Got it? It's an incredibly important word in the English language, and that's because why do you think that everything's being shot out of context right now? Disinformation is designed to destroy our language, to destroy meanings, because they know if they take the context, we can't defend it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. There you go. There's your dot. Absolutely. That's You're the whole. destroying it based on this context, this contextual mis- misconflation, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So first run, we argued, you got it wrong. Like, do it right. Problem with courts is they can screw you. And there's not much you can do about it. What do you do? You know? I mean, the, the decision. So let me ask you this. They said that 230C2 was was harmonious because it was a separate grant of immunity, perhaps because they developed information in part. Now, we know that development is part of content provision, right? Mm. Isn't that a publication decision? So if all publication decisions would include restriction, which we said would then would make it redundant, it would also include content development. Mm-hmm. They didn't fix anything. <laughs> they said it's wow. not redundant because it's still redundant. And it's like, it's still redundant, right? It still would subsume it. So they didn't fix anything. So we went to the Supreme Court first time, and we said, wait a second, 230C1 can't apply like this. Supreme Court denied cert. They just didn't feel like doing it. So here I am. I'm like, well, I I deserve a day in court, right? What do you what do you call a redress of your grievances? There's a specific right that has to do with petitioning your government to redress your grievances, right? Mm-hmm. First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Oh, here I am getting denied my First Amendment rights again by the United States of America. Okay. Not only that. But you said, you know, were you – it was funny because I almost took it out of context when you asked whether I was involved in the, the drafting of this. Yes, very much so. I've written probably at least 70% of, of most of our briefings. And the funny thing is, is that was I involved in the course? Do you know that I was completely denied every single oral argument? Wow. Why? Because if I come in there, I fix it. <laughs> it, it is undeniable when you hear it in the con. Can you sit there and deny that I'm wrong in the context of, of the way that that was supposed to be applied? And how long did that take me? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I didn't use stupid terms. I didn't use conflations. I didn't use out of context stuff to mess you up. I simply took you to the law and said, here's what it says. Mm-hmm. Here's what it means. That's it. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. So now 
Now you understand that the law has actually applied incorrectly. So after the first Supreme Court trip, the funny thing is, is that another case called Enigma versus Malwarebytes comes along. This is where the next dot occurs. In Enigma versus Malwarebytes, they were direct competitors with one another, and they were restricting their content, right? Restricting their their business for their own anti-competitive means, right? Which is exactly the allegation of my case against Facebook. We sued them for tortious interference, uh, unfair competition, um, fraud, and extortion. They took me down for their own financial gain. Same thing. And in that circumstance, Enigma beat them because the the Ninth Circuit Court said, well, wait a second. The Good Samaritan General Provision of the Communications Decency Act does not protect restriction decisions that are driven by an anti-competitive animus. That's a direct quote. So wait a second. So wait a second. So now the Ninth Circuit is saying, which just dumped me, right? is saying that if you bring an anti-competitive allegation, which is exactly what I did, the Good Samaritan general provision, now which section was was Good Samaritan in? Let's all remember, what what section was it? 230C, right? C. Okay. The Good Samaritan general provision doesn't protect anti-competitive behavior. Wait a second, wait a second. Whoa! Whoa, wait a second. That applies to me too, right? (laughs) So I went back to the district court, and I filed something called a motion 60B, right? It's it's basically a motion to overturn my original judgment because my judgment is wrong. It was wrong the whole time, but we couldn't do much to stop them. But it's clearly wrong now because the general provision must apply. So we said they weren't good Samaritans. Now, we argued that they weren't good Samaritans during the whole case, but they didn't care. They ignored that part. And now they've got another case that says Good Samaritan has to apply. And guess what they did? This is the most mind-boggling stuff ever, right? They said that the Good Samaritan general provision in, two, in Enigma versus Mauerbytes, well, Enigma versus Mauerbytes was a 230C2 case, mm-hmm. right? It says mm-hmm. good faith in there, the intent's in there. There's, and they said, well, 230C1 doesn't have the intent in it. So it doesn't apply to 230C1. In other words, the general provision doesn't apply generally. It is the motivation in C, and it jumps C1 and only applies to C2. Wow. Holy cow, are they screwing this up? <laughs> well, it's standard hypocrisy that you see all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like they wanted to keep their mistake in place, that so the only way they could do that is completely destroy the law, right? Mm-hmm. When we say, wait, wait, that's not possible. So that we, of course, appealed it to the Ninth Circuit. Said, this doesn't even make sense. And not only does it not make sense, it's unconstitutional. Because mm-hmm. in that circumstance, if you can't treat them as a publisher for their own publishing conduct to restrain us, right, which is prior restraint authority, and it's unfettered, and it's not even subject to the legislative guidance, which is the intelligible principle, mm-hmm. that's unconstitutional. You can't mm-hmm. do that. Like you can't let some one private entity just restrain another private entity. Like that would be like sitting there saying in self-defense, you can't treat them as a shooter. So go ahead, shoot them in the head. We don't care. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not how it works. So yeah. you know what the Ninth Circuit did? Yeah, uh, this is our court we, system. We, we love the Ninth Circuit anyway uh, because they're a bunch of brilliant people. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, I'm, so the first time they came up with that, like, I, I mean – 
we'll just say absurd, but illogical decision that C C2 protects development. That's wrong, right? The second time around, they realized that, yep, we had fixed it. They didn't want to do it. So guess what they did? They said that I didn't advance the Enigma decision soon enough. Procedurally, they hit me. They said, well, wait a second. This was decided a year and a half ago in the district court and like a year ago in our court. Meanwhile, let me let me tell you something. The Enigma, we argue Good Samaritan, they ignore Good Samaritan. The Enigma case proves that we were right about the Good Samaritan while we were arguing it. Mm -hmm. And then they say, well, we didn't advance Enigma soon enough because we didn't advance it until about a month and a half after it was affirmed by the United States Supreme Court, meaning it was in appeals the entire time. Right, right. How do you use a law that's in appeal? Mm-hmm. It, it didn't become settled law until it hit the Supreme Court, and right after it, it hit law, right, we had a year, year and a half maybe or whatever. We did it within a month and a half. Mm -hmm. They dismissed it procedurally saying that we didn't file it timely enough. So we literally went back on a reconsideration and explained, uh, no, we, we literally were arguing all of this the entire time. We've been in and out of courts constantly for four-plus years at that point. And they came back and said, denied. So rather than respect my constitutional right to redress my grievances, they fell back on procedural error. Mm -hmm. That wasn't even really procedural error. That's that's a kicker here. And we're like, can I swear on here? I yeah, sure, sure. As long that's as when you sit there and you go, holy shit, are you guys out of your minds? Yeah, yeah. Right? It was a mind boggler. Like, what is going on here? Jason, we just had this discussion last night because I had a meeting. We were uh, talking with a group about tactical civics. Are you familiar with that program? I am. And Vanderstiel. Yeah. And and the the entire court system, how they not only write the laws, they uh, judge the laws. You know, mm -hmm. they've they've become proactive. They actually write law instead of mm -hmm. just uh, just judging. Uh, right. the validity of law, and then when they screw up, they bury everything by making everything so uh, completely confused and and bizarre that they just bury it. So it's like a never-ending tale of stupidity. Yeah, it's legislating from the bench. That's yeah. the best way to... They, they become the legislatures because they're not applying the law as written. They're applying it however they choose and bastardizing the language. Well, I'm showing you how they did it. Right. They, they can't they can't pull the rug over your eye. You now have the real information. This is why it went wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why I said this was going to be an important thing. to, And this is something that you said, like some of your legislator friends, mm -hmm. they need to pay attention. Their laws don't mean anything. They have no power if the courts can do whatever they want. So they should actually be fighting with the court saying, no, 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 that's not what we said. That's not what we did. Well, it gets better. That's a great way to explain this is that they're legislating <laughs> for the bench. Mm -hmm. So let's go to the next step. So I went to the Supreme Court the second time, and this time um, – and, and if you could pick up um, – I sent you a couple images, one of which it says questions. Um, this comes from our second Supreme Court filing, right? And when you, when you file a Supreme Court petition for writ of cert, you have to basically present questions that need to be answered, right? They're like fairly specific and I'd like to get through, like, like, like to go through those specific questions because you'll see we had them. 
we had everything lined up. The Supreme Court could have fixed this. Now, while the, while we hit the Supreme Court, there was another case called Gonzalez versus Google that was in the Supreme Court that the Supreme Court supposedly took to address Section 230 and then declined to address Section 230. I couldn't even believe it. Like, why did you take the case if you weren't actually going to fix it? Now, the funny thing is they were dealing with what, what they would call um, – Oh, well, maybe I can screen. I, I sent it to Dan last night, but yeah, uh, I Thumper actually, have uh, Thumper, I, I just, uh, I just sent you, uh, that, uh, that email. So. Okay. Well, he'll put it up in a minute. So the yeah. point was the Gonzalez case was, was relatively related to two thirty, but they were dealing with the question of recommendation. What exactly is a recommendation? Right, like if they recommend content, they're choosing it for you to recommend to you. What is that? Well, we know what it is. It's content development, isn't it? Mm -hmm. They're advancing that content, and the thing is, is that as soon as the court says, "Wait a second, you can't recommend content," right? All of a sudden, they become content providers and they become liable for everything, and all of a sudden, they're responsible. So the question then becomes, where do you draw the line, right? How does a how does a service provider function to give you content without providing you content? Hmm. It's actually pretty simple. Ready mm -hmm. for it? Mm -hmm. We talked about it already. Intent. Mm -hmm. If you now, have you ever heard them use uh, a book stand or, or a um, a newsstand um, that is they they use it as, as an example? Have you ever heard that? No, as, as like a uh, okay. So mm -hmm. a lot of people they use a, a bookstore, a book stand as a an example. And, and realistic, if I can screen share, I'll, I'll pull it up in, in yeah, a minute. Go ahead, go ahead and uh, screen share. Okay, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But let me, let me explain. So a bookstore is what they use oftentimes to explain a social media site. It's not a bookstore is for profit, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Big tech is for profit as well, right? Mm -hmm. And a bookstore they order books that they are going to make money on. Correct. Right. right. And Nobody they can walks choose up. content uh, that that bookstore carries. Correct. Have you ever seen a bookstore where somebody walks in and puts a book on the shelf themselves? Ever? No. No. But you can, right? You can self-publish on, on interactive computer service providers. It's, it's a bad example. Mm -hmm. Do you want a good example? A library. If it's a public library, the books are donated, right? The content is actually published by the publisher or speaker, the content provider. And if somebody comes in, they put their book on the shelf, right? The library service, right, which would be like the interactive computer service, allows another patron to come in the library to interact with that book. What does the library do? The library has that, you know, old school, we're all old enough to know, the Dewey Decimal System. Mm -hmm. Remember them? And the Dewey Decimal System is is neutral, right? It just says mm -hmm. it's in this row, this level, this book, right? The library may have no idea what's in that book, and therefore they can't be treated as the creator or developer of that book because they didn't have any involvement in it. Get it? There's your C1. Mm -hmm. C2 applies that if they know, like if they actually consider that book, and all of a sudden that book has offensive content like child pornography in it, they can pull it down from the, the shelf. They'll be protected for protecting the public. Except what? in schools. Except in schools, Except of course. In schools. Right? Well, the <laughs> point is, what happens if the library is 
paid to take somebody's book and they put it on the front on a on a table right as you walk in the door and they say hey read this mm -hmm. that's content development mm -hmm. that's recommendations right the point is the intent why were they, why did they do it did they do it because somebody was seeking that book out neutral or did they do it because they wanted to show it to you they wanted to provide it there's your line if the allegation is, is they did it for their own financial gain yeah anti-competitive behavior yeah that's content provision if they did it because somebody asked for spaghetti and that book on spaghetti just happened to have child pornography in it or <laughs> pizza is a good example right if they asked for a book on pizza <laughs> And those of you know that know, you know. Yeah. Um. You see what I'm saying is, is that that's the 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 library would not be responsible. The library acts as a as a neutral public forum. That's why Ted Cruz talked about it being a neutral public forum because it's supposed to be. That's the protection they get. Is if they're if they don't know that the content's there and they fail to remove it, they're not responsible for it. But there's a difference when intent kicks in, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have intent. They literally tell us that they're choosing what we see. That's a problem. All right, so let, let's let's go back to the Supreme Court thing. Um, let me pull this up real, real quick here. Questions. Okay. Uh, do, 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 do. Bear with me one second. Not as familiar with this uh, whiteboard. I'll just do it on my screen. Okay. All right, now I have a million things on my screen right here, right? <laughs> Come on, shut there. Okay. There you go. You got them. So I apologize for all that. Let's – I am big. Bear with me one more second. Technical difficulties here. I don't even know how I got into this. Oh, I see how I got into this. Okay. All I want to do is expand this. Okay, here we go. Okay. And we got it. Okay. Bear with. Sorry about that. Okay. So the questions that we presented to the Supreme Court is this. You see that this writ of certiorari centers around the proper scope of uh, immunity were conferred um, by Section 230C of the Communications DC Act. That's what we're talking about here, right? Mm -hmm. So the first question we asked him is about the conduct and actions. Does Section 230C1, the part that we were talking about that, that prevents them from being treated as somebody else, does that have anything to do with their own conduct? Right. So does mm -hmm. Section 230C1 immunize any or all conduct or actions of the interactive computer service provider from civil liability arising out of its actions and decisions to publish, depublish, republish, alter, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of its motivation, including commercial benefit, anti-competition, bad faith. Basically, we've set them up here and said, mm -hmm. does it actually protect any of their own conduct? And doesn't the motive matter? Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah. It does, no matter what. So then, secondarily, we ask again, the motivation. Does the Section 230C Good Samaritan General Provision apply generally to all of Section 230C? It's kind of simple answer, yes, mm -hmm. right? And the last one we asked about was constitutionality. Whether 230C's protection, right, can supersede constitutionally protected individual rights, meaning does this law supersede our rights? Well, anybody that has any sense whatsoever knows that laws don't supersede rights, right? They don't. Does Section 230C immunize an interactive computer service, right, Facebook, for taking the property and or liberty of 
me. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. Right. So we kind of knew all that, but so anyhow, I'm curious to see what the, what the court said. Well, we're, we're getting there. Just, just <laughs> give me a second. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out how to get all these screens. I made a mistake here. Let me go back. Okay. So the introduction, I'm trying to, there we go. Now you can see it. Let me zoom in here so everybody can read it. So this is just the first page of our our Supreme Court cert, right? This is the introduction. This is Ron White, right? He's the guy, he's one of the two guys that, that wrote Section 230. Was that Ron, uh, Se- Senator... Yes. Senator Ron Wyden. Okay. Yep. And Chris Cox. Mm-hmm. Ron Wyden, one of the original authors of Section 230, said that he wanted to provide platforms with a sword and shield. Over the past two and a half decades and through a process of what's called proof texting, the Section 230C1 defensive shield, protection from the conduct of another, became a secondary offensive weapon, an act of publishing authority, rendering the actual 230C2 shield, sword, excuse me, 230 sword, superfluous, meaning C1 made C2 useless because they're 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 literally swinging the shield around, right? They don't need a sword. Since 2018, I attempted to articulate and rearticulate to the lower courts who the publisher is, me, what the publisher what Facebook did, engage in anti-competitive conduct, how Facebook did it, they depublished my materials, solicited a new owner, made a quid pro quo agreement to restore my materials for my competitor and then republish my identical materials for my competitor. It had nothing to do with content. And why? For Facebook's own monetary game, antithetical to Congress's express CDA, Good Samaritan, Good Faith language. It was, it was even antithetical to the idea of, of open free market. Mm-hmm. They were killing yeah, me as a, as a business competitor. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the court's miscategorization, miscategorization conflated my publishing conduct with Facebook's illegal conduct. As a result, Section 230's proper application has become a veritable Abbott and Costello who's on first routine. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah. Who's on first? Yeah. What's on second? You know, it, we just keep chasing them around, sitting there saying, will you stop and just look and read the law? That's it. That's all they had to do. Mm-hmm. So the gravamen, meaning that the bulk of, of my dismissal, rests on the erroneous notion that Facebook cannot be treated as a publisher in the general sense. Remember what I just explained? Mm-hmm. Of any third-party material, even when Facebook acts as a secondary publisher, interpreting 230C1 as precluding Facebook from being treated as itself and being held accountable for its own conduct. That's absurd. Competing with the Ninth Circuit's conclusion, the Fourth Circuit's Henderson decision – more recently determined the 230C1 provides protection to interactive computer services, but it does not insulate a company from liability for all conduct that happens to be transmitted through the internet. Da-da-da! 230C1 only applies when the claim depends on the contents in impropriety. All of a sudden now, guys, um, you can s- s- stop the share for the moment. Okay, so all of a sudden... You see what we've just said there is is that look it it can't be what you want it can't be the way you're saying it, it is so apply the law as it's actually written and all of a sudden it it does it works right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we did all that and you said well what did what did the court say denied mm-hmm. they denied cert on us again now this is where things get really really interesting and this is this is some good news right because we never seem to be making any gains well. We're making gains. Ready for this one? So we 
we were kind of at a loss. We're like, wow. So they took a case for 230. They didn't do it. They didn't take our case, which would have fixed it, right? We would have, it would have been a permanent easy fix because we, we laid it out. It can't work that way. Um, so what do we do? If we, what do we do if a court doesn't want to do anything? They just don't want to help us. So what did we decide to do? We decided to sue the United States. This is like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so we filed what's called a separate and independent action. You understand that, right? Mm-hmm. It's totally separate of my case against Facebook. And we sued the United States for, wait for it, a denial of my First and Fifth Amendment rights. Yep. Okay. Now, this is where it's just like, what is going on with our courts? Let me ask you something. This is going to be a really simple question. Did Facebook dismiss my case in the court or did the judge dismiss my case in the court? Mm-hmm. Obviously the judge. The judge. Mm-hmm. Who does the judge work for? Mm-hmm. The, United the United States. States. Sure. So when I sue the United States for having dismissed me, meaning they applied their affirmative defense to protection and denied me of my redress of grievances against Facebook, who's at fault? Obviously. The USA, the, right? The, yep. Okay. Well, you just you're smarter than the judge now, because well, the judge, I don't doubt that. Well, <laughs> the judge in that case dismissed our constitutional challenge. Flat out suing for declaratory relief on the United States. Now, declaratory relief, what are we all looking for? We're looking for the court to get it right so that I can then proceed forward with the deprivation of my rights being moved out of the way so I can redress my grievances against Facebook. So I had a redressable concern, right? Court could have fixed the problem. And uh, I'm sure uh, you were not trying to get a a, a monetary uh, judgment against the court. You were just trying to get them to act. Right. I was suing the government to get the government Mm -hmm. out of my way. Right. 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 It's pretty straightforward. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know how, why it was dismissed? They said that, and I quote, nothing Facebook did in taking down my content is traceable to the United States. Hmm. Um, I sued Facebook for what Facebook did to me. The United States was the one that denied me of my rights, not Facebook. I wasn't there trying to get my content put back on Facebook. I was trying to get the damn government to get out of my way. Think about that. Mm-hmm. They dumped it on standing saying there's no traceability or redressability when that was the entire premise of the case. Wow. You see the problem we got here? Mm-hmm. So now I'm sitting there going, wow, what are we like? What on earth? Like, how do you say that any simpler? Like, um, I'm here because. United States dismissed my case. Like, you can't really say it any simpler than that, right? Mm -hmm. But see, the judge did something that kind of sparked an idea. We were going to respond and we were going to appeal it and, you know, and say, what are you talking about? Like, did you even read what we said, right? And I mean, normally I would never be this insultive to courts, but it's just like, damn. Yeah. Really? Like, I mean, our court systems are broke. Like this is ridiculous. Like this is this is basic stuff, right? So they said something that sort of triggered my my attorney, and he, he was thinking about it. The judge said that we could have advanced a constitutional issue in the previous case. Even in there, he's even acknowledging that it's a previous case. Totally different, right? 
but we thought, how? Wait, how do you? The United States is is a non-moving party, right? The, the United States is not the defendant in my case against Facebook, is it? Mm-hmm. So how do I drag the United States into it? Guess what? Mm-hmm. There's a procedural mechanism that nobody knows about. Well, I'm sure really good attorneys know about this, but it is not used too often because this does. I mean, usually they don't screw this screw lawsuits up this bad. Right. There's actually a couple of those, uh, Jason, and I have to tell you, that's uh, uh, the, the idea of impaneling a, a grand jury. Well, okay, so that's that's sort of a different that's path. That's a secondary one. Yeah, yeah. That, it's, yeah, it's kind of like similar to this, but there, there is within the existing case of, of Facebook, right, which is still alive. I'm still well, you know, everybody says, oh, you lost it. No, I've, I've lost decisions, yes, because they're bizarre. But how do we challenge what the government did in it? Well, a procedural rule 5.1 says that when the United States denies me of a right, which they did, they deny me of due process, did they not? It's real simple. When they deny me of a right, I can challenge the constitutionality of the statute that did it, meaning I actually had to lose just to have the standing to do it. I've been playing the long game, gentlemen. It is incredibly difficult to do this. <laughs> but what happens now is I now have the standing to challenge the law itself. Now, why do I have the standing? Well, remember in our second go-round, I said that they they basically dismembered the Good Samaritan General Provision from 230C1. They took the legislative guidance out of it. Well, another case, Jarkesi versus the SEC, right? A Supreme Court case determined that if a statute allows for prior restraint, it has to be guided by legislative intelligible principle. Uh-oh. What they just said is that they had the restraint authority and no legislative guidance. That's unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. It's unfettered immunity. Mm-hmm. So that one very specific issue breaks this thing open. It's a crack. That's all we needed. Mm-hmm. So now what happens is, is that we had filed a motion 60B because remember I mentioned Henderson? Yeah, the Fourth Circuit went back to the original thing. They, re, they reread Section 230, and they realized, wait a second. If we apply it as written, it doesn't mean that they have unfettered immunity to do whatever they want. 230C1 doesn't apply. So I now have a circuit court conflict. Fourth Circuit of my Ninth Circuit decision conflict with one another. Mm-hmm. So we filed a, yet another motion 60B that says, hey, you're wrong. This court says you're wrong, but now now they're equal, equal, you know, circuit conflicts. They're equal, which the Supreme Court should have to fix, right? They're inclined to fix it because who's right, fourth or ninth? Mm-hmm. That's a different position going up. But see, separate of that motion 60B, right, and concurrent too, meaning same time, we filed a procedural motion uh, or uh, procedural 5.1, whatever you want to call it, motion, writ, you name it, it's a 5.1 constitutional challenge. And we basically said that because this, the, the district court separated the, the Good Samaritan General Provision from 230C1, it became unconstitutional as applied. You ever heard of that, as applied or on its face? Mm-hmm. Guess what? As applied, they made it unconstitutional, denied me my rights. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the cool thing about a 5.1. The motion 60B, they could sit there and play games again, totally screw me the whole way through instead of giving me justice, respecting my rights. Because and, and now the cool part about this is, and I'm super excited, is the judge that I had in the district court 
voluntarily recuse himself after five years. Poof, he disappears. So we have a completely new judge. And given that a judge may read all the way through this thing from complaint to end, he's going to realize court's wrong. Wasn't his mistake. It was a prior judge's mistake. And he could easily fix this and sit there and say, you're right. The language says what it says. 230C1 doesn't apply. We're going to trial. Done. But I just busted the dam open. I just realigned the law. Right? So now that thing is, that would still be a district decision. Well, the other part about this, about the 5.1, is it says that the court, quote, must certify to the United to the appropriate attorney general that a constitutional question has been raised. And guess what? My right to do so is, quote, not forfeitable. Mm-hmm. Drop the mic. You understand what that means, right? Mm-hmm. They can't dismiss this one. Right. Procedurally, constitutionally, I don't care why. They're not getting away from this one. The United States concretely and particularly injured me. It <laughs> denied me of due process. I literally had to lose over and over and over again to fix the damn thing. This is the long game in lawfare. They just thought they could outrun me. Mm-hmm. Wrong guy. Well, I outlast you. Off. Outlast you, and they do it because they they have unlimited resources. Correct. And that's the thing. Delay, 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 delay. Mm -hmm. So we've essentially put the court in a catch-22. And and I mean, I'm hoping this this judge, just just all we're asked is do the right thing, right? It's textually wrong. It's applied wrong. It's it's not in the spirit of the law. You've dismembered the statute. Fix it. That's all we're asked to fix the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Get it right. 230C1 can't be used essentially as a backdoor for 230C2. It just doesn't work like that. So the 5-1, of course, says – so here's the catch-22. If the court is right in its application of 230C1 that it, it they can do anything they want and the intelligible principle doesn't apply, that's unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. So they're either wrong or if they're right – so wait, let me, let me rephrase that. If they're correct in their current application, it's unconstitutional. But if they get it right, if they fix it – it can become constitutional, but then they're wrong. So if they're right, it's unconstitutional. If they're wrong, they're just wrong. Either way, they're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. We win. Pretty much, yeah. So we're just sitting here waiting on a decision. Now, that's that's the you know like the infomercials. But wait, there's more. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I mean, I lost lost my mind the other day. During litigation, you can so there there's other cases that come up, and you can you can file them in as what's called supplemental briefs, right? Like when you when you find them, if they're more recent and they kind of undo your case, you can add them and say, "Here, look at this." Well, we found one. Guess where it's from? The Northern District of California, right where I'm sitting right now, right? Same mm-hmm. court, and the judge in this other decision. It's, it's a case called Dangard. That judge is the senior, one of the senior most respected judges in the Northern District of California. Okay. You ready for me to blow your minds, gentlemen? All right. So I got to pull up. <laughs> You're going to love this one. So we're going to pull this one up first. Hang on, bear with me. I want to share screens again. 
This is okay. Um, okay, let me share my screen again. Okay. Do, 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 do. Okay. All right. So, are you? Do you see this? Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. <clears throat> to me. So he said, and this is in his order, he says here, similarly, Meta, so it's same, same people, right? Facebook. Meta defendants are not entitled to CDA immunity for operating their filtering system. Like the defendant and roommate, which was alleged to have purposely designed its website for filtering listings in a discriminatory manner. Remember I was talking about intent? He's getting it. Meta defendants are alleged to have purposely designed their platform to filter posts and accounts in an anti-competitive manner. Wow. Ding dong, the witch is dead. That's literally what we said from our case from day one. Although meta defendants are not alleged to have augmented the posts or accounts themselves, they didn't physically change them. Development doesn't require physically changing something because that's creation, right? That's augmentation. They manipulated it to show things in a recommendation stance. Development. Although meta defendants are not alleged to have augmented the poster accounts themselves, quote, their connection to the anti-competitive filtering process is direct and palpable. They designed their platform to limit the listings available to subscriber based on ties to competitors of OnlyFans. Now, let me put this in the context. Wow. OnlyFans is generally porn, right? Porn would fall under otherwise objectionable content, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. So this was really, if they wanted to argue that they were taking it down because it was porn, they would have brought a 230C2 defense and said, in good faith, we removed porn. Okay, fair enough. Probably would have won that one. Wait till you hear the rest. While providing neutral tools to carry out what may be unlawful or illicit conduct does not amount to development, if there's no intent, right, not development, Meta defendants are not alleged to have filtered pornographic content in a neutral manner, meaning they filtered some porn pornographic content because they made more money from OnlyFans. Wow. Can you believe this one? They were mm -hmm. in cahoots with OnlyFans. Well, guess what? We're saying they were cahoots with every single sponsored advertiser forcing us out of the newsfeed. Their entire business model is anti-competitive. Wow. We fixed this. They're bankrupt. You mm -hmm. get it? You see why they don't want to fix it? We know exactly how to tear this whole apparatus down. What was this are... court case, uh, this particular case that this uh, judgment was written on? Uh, uh, Dangard versus Meta. Okay. Or Dan, Dan, excuse me, Dangard versus Instagram. Okay. It, it is, it's groundbreaking because they finally figured out the mistake that we've been arguing since day one, right? It, there, there's, it gets better. <laughs> Wait, there's more. Plaintiff alleged that meta defendants filtration tools are designed to facilitate anti-competitive conduct. Designed. Intent. Right? Thus, two, Section 230C1 is inapplicable here. Wait. C1? I See, they're talking about the the content development and, and all this stuff that would be C2, but this, they brought a C1 defense. See, the, the, here's the thing. Meta uses C1 thing again like they did in my case – for what is a C2 case, mm -hmm. they bypass the good faith, they bypass the intent because they said, well, we just can't be treated as a publishers. No, that's not how it works, right? And this mm -hmm. judge caught it. But 
he goes on. Wait, let me uh, get to the right one. So this is the Holy Grail. Ready for this? Mm-hmm. Well, Zango and there's Enigma, right? Zango and Enigma were both C2 cases. Well, Zango and Enigma applied to sections 230C2, and the parties in Enigma were direct competitors, which if Facebook is a partner with a sponsor, they are your direct competitor, right? Because they're getting paid to displace you. The same policy concerns arise here. Meta defendants, quote, filtering practices are aimed at suppressing competition. Intended. You could just substitute, right? In the online adult industry, adult entertainment business. In fact, meta defendants could have employed 230C2. Aha! They could have brought a C2 defense, Mm -hmm. but they didn't. They brought a C1 defense to attempt to defend themselves. They claim to be removing obscene material from their platform in good faith, which is what Section 230C2 immunizes, right? Exactly. But they instead chose Section 230C1 Mm -hmm. to shield themselves. To approve meta-defendant CDA defense would make Section 230C1 a backdoor to CDA immunity. Wow. Extraordinarily clear thinking on the part of that judge. He got it. He got exactly what we've been saying for five and a half years now is C1 can't be this unfettered backdoor immunity. It's not blanket immunity. You can treat them as a publisher. You cannot treat them as the publisher or speaker. They're different, right? And he even says it here. It's contrary to the CDA's history and purpose. Exactly. They they literally said that it was supposed to facilitate the free market not give them an unfair advantage to wipe out every single competitor <laughs> that comes into the game. They're they're literally big tech because the government allowed them un, unfettered immunity. Unfettered, yeah. And all of a sudden, because everybody says, well, what happens if they change all this? It, 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 the sky's falling, right? The end of the world is going to happen. The internet no. is going to collapse. They're going to they're going to have to suppress more. No, not at no. all. In no. fact, what's going to happen is big tech is probably going to go bankrupt. I am totally cool with that, right? Yeah, they yep. have screwed us so bad. I am fine with the platform collapsing. Was, yep. well, yeah, but then, but then the public is going to get harmed. No, the public is just going to have to go somewhere else. I mean, they always tell us that if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Well, they're going to have to go somewhere else. And guess what? Competitors like Parler. Mm-hmm. Remember when Parler just wiped out? How did they get wiped out? Google and Apple and whatever took them yep. out of the stores. That's anti-competitive restrictions. They should have sued the snot out of them. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. They were too weak. They just didn't bring a lawsuit. I would have for sure, right? As soon as Parler became a threat, they shut them down. Yeah. You've got a judge now in the district court that has now recognized exactly what we've said. What they did in my case was unconstitutional and it's not forfeitable. And the, uh, the alternative here is fix it. Mm-hmm. We've we've backed the courts into a procedural and constitutional corner, and the court itself that I'm in has literally agreed with me now. Do you think we're right? Absolutely. You see why this is a monster? Mm-hmm. Dan Guard put a crack in the dam. We are going to rip it wide open and drown them. <laughs> and I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. It stops everything because they're saying here that and I want to put this more in your context, right? Because the economic side is very easy to understand. Um, we, 
you know, mine was about money. They, they had to become big first, right? And I'm, I'm kind of like the OG, right? I was huge. What they took from me is worth billions of dollars, right? I was so far ahead of everybody. But take economic uh, discrimination and change that to ideological, political, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. medical, right? Religious. We, we've, we've seen it throughout our whole society. Every, it controls everything. Do you see how this reflects on everything? Mm-hmm. It's far bigger because what we're saying here is, is that if the, if the algorithm is designed with a bias involved, right? They build it and design mm-hmm. it to build a bias into it. They are developing certain content over another. It's no longer just a neutral interactive forum. It's, it's their content. It's, it's no different tool. than any other website. The only difference is they filtered this. They've essentially laundered their their role through somebody else creating it. I mean, they may as well have sit there and say, um, Facebook isn't the creator because Facebook content creator company made it, which is supported by Facebook and then advanced by Facebook. And it's like, how is that any different than any other publishing company, right? Mm-hmm. That's like sitting there saying, well – the editor of a news network isn't responsible for what they ask a writer to write. Yes, they are because mm-hmm. the editor still advances. They developed that content. No, they didn't create it, but they sure as hell move it around. Don't they? If they That's put it why on the they call page, them an editor. That's why they're called editor. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I just connected all of the dots mm-hmm. to explain how they have gotten to where we are now. Right. Legally, the courts have just dropped the ball. It's very simple once you understand it. But the problem is, is that to understand it, how long did that just take us? An hour and a half to walk through it because yeah. it's confusing. You have to look at what it says. You have to see where those interactions go. You have to see what the language says. And then once you get it, I mean, I I, I can guarantee that at least you two gentlemen are probably never going to mess, mess it up again, are you? No. Because you know how it works now. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that they are supposed to be responsible. You know, they they can take some action to restrict bad stuff, right? But they'd mm-hmm. have to arguably say that it was done in good faith. And again, that's not a judge's decision; that's a jury's decision. But nowhere in there is is there immunity. The only immunity mm-hmm. would really come in is if you were trying to treat them as someone else. Okay, if they're not someone else, right? It's pretty simple. That's the only time I would say that a dismissal is really ab- applicable here is, you know, if I'm sitting there saying I'm holding Facebook account uh, accountable for Dan Happel's information. I can't do that, right? Because it's not theirs. It's yours. Right. That's it. Uh, that's that's uh, really all it covers. <laughs> uh, Jason, uh, let, let me share something. I'm up here in Washington State in Spokane. Um, and, uh, we have a, uh, our Washington state secretary of state is accused of spying on, uh, citizens, social media posts. Uh, he engaged a, uh, uh, a, uh, company to develop a software program that would, uh, scour the internet, uh, monitoring for negative comments, um, you know, concerning a number, let's see, uh, according to the center, uh, Washington state GOP earlier this year, were sent to Hobbs uh, from British British based logically incorporated or AI incorporated concerning a number of social media posts and comments. Uh, Secretary of State Steve Hobbs is using public funds to pay an offshore artificial intelligence company to surveil voters 
speech uh, objectionable to Secretary Hobbs is fact-checked, reported as a threat, and suppressed. It is unethical and illegal to use public funds to aid Secretary Hobbs mm-hmm. and or his political party in suppressing opposition views. Such government censorship is spreading cancer in our society. That's right here in Washington State. Bingo. Yeah, Thumper. And and that's a perfect example of why we need to start re-impaneling grand juries. Well, do you want me to unpack exactly what's going on there? This is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So they're using public money to send it out to a, a essentially a fact checker. Let's just call it that, right? Mm-hmm. Some sort of entity. So the government is paying some entity to identify misinformation. Okay, let's just call it that. Because that's pretty much universally what they call it. But then they're saying, well, that they then tell, they identify that information and then they send it over to the big tech and then big tech, if you remember what it says in 230C2, it says voluntarily, right? Mm-hmm. Any action voluntarily taken. Well, that's how they're laundering state action through these big tech companies, right? The, the big mm-hmm. tech companies are are just the tool that they're using, right? And then they go, oh, <clears throat> we didn't do it. We just told them that it was bad. They voluntarily chose to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem there is how do you make that connection, right? Because everybody's trying to say that they're state actors, Right. They're agents of the government. What if I told you that they're not agents of the government and it doesn't matter? They're still responsible. See, we figured something else out too. That's why they don't want any, they don't want me getting out there at all. Why? Because we figured this mess out. So if you look like let's look under like the Federal Tort Claims Act, right? And it says that the United States is a self-insurer and that you can sue the United States for anything that their employees, agents are Wait for it, drum roll, instrumentalities. <laughs> they don't need to be state actors or agents. <laughs> they only need to be the instrument by which the government is using to suppress speech. <laughs> Bingo. Now all of a sudden, they are actually responsible for what they did, and the United States could be sued because you don't have to prove that they're agents. You only have to prove that they were the instrument by which the government suppressed your speech. They're the tool. They're the hammer that smashed us as nails. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's the fact that they were paid to do that. Correct. Matter of fact, I'm working. Um, I, I work as an expert consultant on other cases, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I can arguably say that I'm probably the foremost authority. I'm no, not even probably. I am the foremost authority on Section 230 in the world. Period. Right. I know it verbatim. I know everything about it. I know what's wrong. I know why I went wrong. I know every single case. I've read all of it. Right. I've, I've broken it down to I even know what it does. Right. As an affirmative defense, believe it or not, it creates something called a special relationship under the special relationship doctrine. Right. Because it authorizes prior restraint. And because of that, it triggers an affirmative duty for the courts to protect our individual civil liberties. Well, what does that mean? It means that even if somebody is shot and killed, the court has a duty to protect that his rights were, in fact, were were, were respected, right? Mm-hmm. That he wasn't shot because he just felt like it, that, that the law applies correctly. Same thing here. The courts are literally supposed to be our advocates, and they're working against us. Well, and this is the secretary of the state. You know, he's in charge of uh, seeing to yeah. the law of the state. Correct. Right? 
Now, Correct. in the state of Washington, our constitution here in the state of Washington very, very specifically and quite clearly demands uh, that uh, we have the uh, – uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, exactly how to how – to, yeah, I'm having a brain fart right now. My apologies. Uh Inalienable, inalienable, unalienable. Well, it's it's that, but it's a uh, um, uh, free will. Hmm? Uh, you know, it it uh, life, liberty, and happiness. Yeah, life, liberty, and happiness. But it was uh, when the state was founded, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on, and they uh, 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 you uh, they they can abridge your free will. Basically, is is uh, correct. Where it goes. So, so the way that this would work, and I'm going to let people know that if you're being attacked in this matter, I'm going to tell you exactly how to bring suit. And and I'm just going to say this: I am not a lawyer, to be clear, and this is not legal advice, but it is how I would approach it if I were a lawyer and I was going to do it. I would sue that individual for a First Amendment right, right. I would, the complaint would then say that they used big tech not as an agent, but as an instrumentality of their their job. They mm -hmm. they wanted it done, they requested it to be done, and they used them as an instrument. It means that it doesn't mm -hmm. matter whether Facebook chose to or, or Google chose to or whatever voluntarily. It doesn't matter. They sought to use them as the instrument by which mm -hmm. to suppress speech. Yeah. Individual, <laughs> yeah, individual right is the specific way it's stated in the Washington State Constitution. You have mm -hmm. individual rights. Yeah, well, that's just it. It's individual civil liberties. We, we, yeah. we all have the right. The yeah. fact that he sought out the suppression of speech is all you need. Yeah. Every, everybody's yeah. saying, well, no, they, they just voluntarily did it. It's the private actor's acts, and then they dismiss it on standing because the government, oh, just asked. No, the fact that the government is asking is using them as an instrumentality. You don't need the big tech. Mm -hmm. Right. You just go after the government entity and you sue them and you say, well, no, you're using these big tech things as the tool to suppress speech. We don't care what they are or who they are or whether they're state authorized or anywhere in between. The fact is, that's what the tool you're using. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's thousands, literally thousands of examples of the FBI being involved in that very process. Correct. Uh, using big tech as an instrument to suppress speech. Correct. What I just told you changes the world, mm -hmm. gentlemen. Like this is mm -hmm. not small stuff. What I'm I'm telling you is the actual correct pathway because what like there was a case, another case that went to <laughs> went to the Ninth Circuit oral arguments the day that I was supposed to and they denied me a oral argument surprise surprise because my case was right and this case was wrong. They were suing the government for what Google suppressed them on, right? completely separate. They, the allegation wasn't that the government had actually told them to suppress it, but they were suing the government because they had done it. Court asked, well, why didn't you sue the government? Why didn't you sue the government? Why did you sue Google? And you can't because Google is a private actor, so you can't sue them for a, a, a rights infringement. You would have to sue the government. And see, in this circumstance, you would sue the government not because it used them as an agent, but because they use them as an instrument. Mm -hmm. You can go after them for that because the intent of the government was to suppress speech, and they use an instrument, and that instrument accomplished the role, the job. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if they, they ask them, force them, coerce them, whatever. The reality is they still were the tool. 
that changes everything. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make, you don't, you don't have to make that relationship occur. Now, the fun part about it is let's work this in reverse. What if you sue big tech for acting as an agent of government? Well, you can't really do that because it's a private act. But wait a second, they're acting under the protections of Section 230. Correct. Now let me let me explain something to you, gentlemen. If if the government asks them to take something down, are they a government agent? No. They are an instrument, but but are they the government? No, it's private. It's completely private. It's still private when you go and you sue them, right? Mm-hmm. Totally still private. When you petition your government to redress your grievances, and let's just say Facebook, Google, or Twitter invokes Section 230 protection, right? They say, we have affirmative defense protection. What have they now just done? They've asked the state to act. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, Mm -hmm. they just brought the state into the action, right? So Mm -hmm. if the state acts, they're saying – by, it's an admission by whatever big tech company it is. We're admitting we acted within the state's authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're the instrument. And they actually, that gives them the ability to turn around and sue the government for basically creating the scenario that uh, is getting them sued. Isn't that so essentially, true? you say you yeah. sue your big tech as soon as they invoke Section 230 protections, you sue the government too. Yeah. yeah. Boom. I just did – I mean what just occurred in this conversation is wow. so unlike anything else out there. This is what I was talking about, Dan, when we were talking on the phone. Like, mm-hmm. That's why they don't want me out there because I put it all in the correct framework, right? I don't let the contextual nonsense get involved in this. Um now, now I will say that, and I'm going to warn anybody: if they start using my name, what's going to happen is this: there, there are teams of people paid to confuse you. You use my name, and they'll say, "Oh, he lost every single time. He's an idiot." Blah blah blah. That's the guy who like had pages dedicated to urinating in public. It's funny because you say that, and then you go and you don't understand what different disinformation campaigns are, right? Mm. Facebook claimed. Right? Because one of the pages that I had put in my complaint was facebook.com backslash take a piss funny. They said I had pages dedicated to urinating in public. Wow. So either one of you gentlemen is sitting there. Go to Google and type in phrase take a piss funny or take a piss. See what the result is, right? Can you do that for me real quick, Thumper? Yeah, Thumper. But phrase, take a piss. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to completely destroy this right now. The judge dismissed my case and actually put that fact, which is not a fact. It's a complete lie, right? They put that forward, which, of course, defamed me. And now all of my proponents sit there and say I'm the piss boy and whatever. Well, I had content. The piss content. Uh, let's see. I get take a piss idioms uh, by free dictionary. I've got take a piss out of someone or something. Take a Did you piss say definitely. phrase take a piss piss. Uh, well, I just I just typed in take a piss. Type in phrase take a piss. Okay, it put okay. it in the context. Okay, got it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to do the same thing. Just all to- right, and and Jason, I'm going to. Uh, because we are uh, kind of toward the end of the program, mm-hmm. 
uh, you had talked, and you and I had this discussion about uh, possibility of bringing some Congress people in and uh, doing something to change the law in a way that uh, really truly represented a fair and open internet. I want you to talk about that uh, after we get through this, because that's going to be a big deal. I'd, I am going to have uh, Matt Rosendale's uh, staff and ask Matt to take a look at this program. And I, I would hope he does, because the point of this is that congressional members should see this because they don't understand that the legislation isn't really the problem. It's vague. Mm -hmm. So what's happened is, is that they're legislating from the bench. They've completely bastardized the hell out of this law. And the reality is they should be applying the law as written. I mean, mm -hmm. the position that we're talking about here, that, that about 230C1 being the problem, the DOJ said the same thing in its, in, in its amicus in Gonzalez versus Google. The 230C1 was applied beyond its proper bound. Cruz said it was applied as super immunity. Paxton said that it was applied as a super, uh, excuse me, as a government-like immunity. The point is, the problem is C1. Nobody knows that's mm -hmm. the problem. And, and I actually have it here. I'm just going to read it because I, I, I found what I was talking about. Take a piss. It says, it is a shortening of the idiom take, take the piss out of, which is an expression of meaning to mock, tease, joke, ridicule, or scoff. It is not to be confused with taking a piss, which refers to the act of urinating. Take a piss funny to mock. Funny. Mm -hmm. It was literally a humor page. Mm -hmm. Even better, it was a clerical error. I wasn't supposed to grab that URL, right? You cut and paste. I accidentally grabbed the page. It wasn't even mine. So not only did Facebook lie, wasn't even my page, and I've had to deal with this nonsense. Mm -hmm. They knew it was a lie. The judge accepted it. Now everybody's ridiculing me on it, and the whole thing's BS. You see what I'm saying? Is they oh, will sure. attack you any way they can by putting disinformation out there. So I just want to put that to the audience so that when you put this forward, they're lying when they try to counteract me. Why? Because they're desperately trying to hold on to this control. Right, they they are currently able to allow and disallow information, so that goes to what you just asked. How does this change the internet? Right? Mm -hmm. Would you? And, and incidentally, I'm going to say something, Jason. If you were a Brit, uh, the term uh, "pissed" uh, means yeah. you're drunk. Means you're drunk. Correct. Correct. <laughs> they took it completely out of context, and it's like one of those. But meanwhile, they use it as a tool to to harm me. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that piss guy. I literally never had a page dedicated or about or have never even shared urination. The irony is, is that I actually found a video on public urination, reported it to Facebook, and guess what Facebook determined? It didn't violate their community standards. You wow. can't even make this up, right? <laughs> Unreal, right? This is the nonsense I deal with. All yeah, right. You need, you need to get a new IP address. Oh, <laughs> we need a new internet, right? Yeah, Come on, no Elon. create yeah. the whole new internet. Let's just start over again. And, and like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this time they'll get it right. Although this is kind of funny, Jason, because this is, this is exactly, see, this is why Bumper and I've been talking about this. We see a sea change in attitudes. We see 2024 being a year when the people of the United States actually start to win again. 
And the reason for that is because they didn't take into account the genius of the American people, people like you, people who, when they keep stepping on us and keep doing the things they've been doing. I think what uh, you're trying to say, Dan, is we're pissed off. We're pissed off. Yeah. 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 All right. Exactly. Wait, <laughs> and, you mean we're urinating on ourselves? I mean, come on. <laughs> and, and, and well, the, the cool part about it is, is that they're the ones that caused us to feel the way we do. And boy, are they going to learn their lesson when the American people really unleash the power that they have intellectually and morally and financially, the whole thing. We well, are a force to be reckoned with. I think you're right in that one of the things I posted on Twitter, right? Um, and that's the best place for anybody to follow me is on Twitter, um, or you can go to socialmediafreedom.org. Um, we have the Social Media Freedom Foundation. We could always use support. Financial support is a big one. We, we need money. Like we, we're fighting a massive fight. This is an incredibly long, you know, fight. Mm -hmm. We could use the support. But I said that 2025 is going to be the year of scorched earth. Who's in charge is basically going to determine the future of America, right? Mm -hmm. That we all know that. Right. right. You know how he said every every so many years, every four years or something like that, we say, oh, this this election will determine the future of America. <laughs> and every time it's like 2024 is like, here, hold my beer. This, <laughs> this one's going to be bad. Right. I because we phrase. know somebody's going to I mean, if I mean, half the reason I want to see Trump get in there is because he is now familiar with what they are. He is probably pissed off. Um, he's knows what he's up against. I want to see him go scorched earth. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I would have normally been like, oh, well, you know, it'd be good to keep Facebook and Google if they were doing the right thing. As far as I'm concerned, go scorched earth, bankrupt them. They deserve it. They don't, they didn't, they should not have been this big, except that they built their themselves on our backs only to change the game and steal everything we, we, we established our reach and distribution, they take that away from us. And then they say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go sell it to somebody else. Or I'm going to give it to the vaccine pharmaceutical companies, anybody, anybody that benefits us. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see as being, you know, let's talk about the change to America. Hypothetically, right. This judge does the honorable thing. I would love to be able to say, you know what? They got it right. This honorable judge stepped up. He knew, I mean, I get it. If he was watching this right now, I'd say, I would say to him that the decision before him could affect the future of this country. It protects constitutional rights over absurd law provision. That's it. It doesn't say what they're saying it says. It doesn't follow the spirit of the law. It doesn't make any, any sense at all, and it's unconstitutional. Fix it. That's it. Just do the right thing. Fix it. It would be amazing. It means that I will get to bring my case. I still have to prove the merits of my case. I still have to go to trial, right? But the fact is, is that it's just what Justice Clarence Thomas said, is, is that it this is preventing people from bringing the case in the first place. That's not what a protection is. A protection is, is that they can't be held civilly liable if they prove that they acted within the confines of the affirmative defense. Right now, they don't have to prove anything. I'm not a publisher. Thank you. Good night. No, that, that's not how it works. So now what happens is if these companies then become liable for their own conduct, right, 
if it's biased and it's not done in good faith and it's not done as a good Samaritan, they would be subject to liability. What happens when a company is subject to liability? The, the government can't compel them to, to hold speech. No. Liability will. Mm-hmm. Money. Mm-hmm. Their board member is going to say, no, 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 we're done. No, I have investments here. You are going to do this the right way. Mm-hmm. And how about impeachment? Uh, well, that's just it. Is, mm-hmm. is that this will, this uh, comes to the idea, okay, let's put it this way. An affirmative defense is is in the interest of the public. That's why they're written, right? That's what Congress's laws are about. Is it in the interest of the public to suppress a political position? It's not, right? Not, no, not, not, supposed, not, supposed, not supposed to be, no. no. Not in the United so, States of America. <laughs> so they would have a hell of a time trying to prove they were acted as a good Samaritan if they're working against the public interest, wouldn't Correct. they? Mm-hmm. Do you see what happens all of a sudden is, is that they can't do that anymore. Now, everybody says, well, they have a First Amendment right. The government can't compel them, and that's what I just said. No. The government's not compelling them. Their bottom line is compelling, right? Mm-hmm. And the point is, no. No, they, they can – I would argue they got a First Amendment right. They can shut you up for any reason they want. It's just like I could say – like I could say a horrible term. I could say, I hate black people. It's a horrible thing, right? It's a horrible thing to say. Mm-hmm. I have a right to say it, but if I say it in the context of hiring or firing somebody, what just happened? Mm-hmm. I discriminated. Mm-hmm. I broke a law, right? Mm-hmm. See the difference between laws and rights? They're sure. different. I have a right to say it. The government can't stop me from saying it, but it sure as heck can allow the person who was harmed to redress their grievance and a jury decides that's how laws work i mean it's it's like people don't even understand how laws work anymore and and i mean because i'm you may have even seen the arguments well they have a first amendment right 230 doesn't have anything to do with the first amendment right it only protects them from civil liability under certain circumstances when they're acting in good faith as a good samaritan to restrict offensive material that's it and it prevents them from being treated as somebody else Okay, let's ask, you, let's ask you a very, very important question. Let's just say Matt Rosendale or one of, you know, Harriet Hageman or one of the people I know that are Congress people get on here and decide to do something to help the situation. What can they do? <laughs> well, let's take this a step further. Obviously, what I'm working on is a judicial fix, right? Mm-hmm. The case Missouri versus Biden is an executive fix, right? They're suing the executive branch, right? Mm-hmm. Question is, Matt Rosendale, he's the legislative branch, right? Mm-hmm. So how would this be fixed legislatively? Can you believe that I was, in fact, asked to do just that, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I said I know all the aspects of this. So I had a gentleman by the name of David Morgan uh, who was very concerned about free speech, Rightfully, so am I. I. I mean, everybody says this problem, my problem, or they're all the worst problems, elections. What about free speech? You can't fix any other problem without it, right? Mm-hmm. Other than guns, right? That Then you get into, into actual kinetic problems. So free speech is fundamentally the thing that you need to do all of it. So free speech is the biggest concern that we have, that I have, that everybody should have, that kind of nobody's paying attention to. So the question is, how do you fix it legislatively? Well, 
what I just explained to you is the Constitution, for example. It's pretty simple, right? It's written for simple people to understand simply. Mm-hmm. Right? And literally. Hard, to, hard, hard mm-hmm. to mess it up, very literal. Yep. Well, believe it or not, Section 230 is the same thing. It's mm-hmm. it's simple. It, it, given a correct interpretation, it's very simple. It, it means what it means. It could work very easily if the court oh, did it right, right? If they didn't legislate from the bench, they did what it says, we're good to go. Don't need a legislative fix, right? So how do you fix something that's not broken? See what I had to deal with? Mm-hmm. How do you fix something that's really not broke? Well, let me put an analogy like this. If Section 230 were the road, right, and people were driving down the road, these big tech companies that decided to drive off the road because nobody ever put any guardrails on the road, right? They just mm-hmm. they laid a road out. And if the courts aren't going to hold – like if the cops aren't going to hold you responsible when you just decide to drive off the road, what are you going to do? You have to give the cops better instruction, right? You have to put the guardrails back on the road. So that's what I did. So if you go to socialmediafreedom.org, right? And yeah. I, and I believe Matt Rosendale is aware of me. Um, we haven't. I don't believe we actually ever really spoke. But David Morgan tasked me with put the guardrails back on the road. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, by the by the way, I'd like to ask: Is that David Morgan of the Morgan Report? I I don't, don't think so. so. Okay, different different yeah. guy. Okay. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Believe it is, you know, there's probably a lot of David Morgans out there, fairly common name. Uh, not a lot of Jason Fix, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I always tell people I'm going to fix Facebook up. So there you go. <laughs> uh, so, anyhow, so so I got tasked with putting the, the guard rest back on it. And so the point was is that not to change the, the purpose, right? Go back to Ron Wyden's sword and shield. Mm-hmm. It's, to, it's to define the sword and shield so the shield works as a defensive mechanism, can't be treated as somebody else. And the sword acts as the offensive mechanism, any action to restrict content, right? That's it. Oh, that's all we had to do. So if you go to socialmediafreedom.org, there is uh, on there, or you can go to uh, onlinefreedomact.com, it's, but it's okay. on our website as well. The Online Freedom Act was the culmination of about six to eight months worth of work where I sat down and I literally tore it apart word by word, and we added the pieces that were necessary to put those guardrails into effect to restrain not people, not big tech. Do you know who it restrains? Government. The courts. The courts, the judiciary, yeah. I rewrote it to literally restrain judges so that they can't screw this up. You don't have to be an expert on the internet. Believe it or not, Supreme Court even said that. Um, The website is socialmediafreedom.org. Okay. I pull it up. It's I'm, kind of a pretty, pretty site. You could throw that up on the screen here. Yeah, yeah. we'll get it. Social media, social media freedom freedom dot org. Dot org. Mm-hmm. It's called the Social Media Freedom Foundation. It is my five hundred one c three. So any donations that your audience makes to protect free speech here are in fact tax deductible. Good. We need your help, right? Good. We're we're fighting the real fight. And the funny thing is, is that people say, oh, it's hard to raise money. Yeah, good guys don't raise money. Mm-hmm. There's no money in doing the right things, right? right. But the that's, bad guys. that's just it. Right. Now, we just bad had another guy on, on a Second Amendment issue, very same thing. He's before the Supreme Court now. That's just, it's exactly it. Um, it. It's They don't get much support. Now, the guns are one of those things that the gun 
advocates will actually put money towards it's it's a little bit more but you would think free speech being one of our most fundamental rights that people will be concerned but they placate us they just you know ah oh, well it's just it's just big tech i'll just say it my you know my neighbor do you realize that this is bleeding out into every this isn't just going to be internet this isn't going to be social media this is going to be everything they just put a font like put what fines on at&t or whatever it is um if you say the wrong thing they can fine you Mm -hmm. a common carrier is now going to fine you for what you're what you're saying through text and private text messages you see how this it becomes a bigger and bigger problem if you don't stop it. We're trying to stop yeah. it. Now, if you um, if you just click on the the documents tab, it's uh, oh, so there you go. Yeah, I, I had to find my mouse first. <laughs> you can see Online Freedom Act. It's uh, almost yep. like it from the back, right? The Online Freedom Act is a rewrite of Section two thirty. There, there it is. If Matt Rosendale wants to be, you know, to take this, introduce it. I don't just rewrite it and say, here's here's the law. I literally explain why I changed it, what changed, and what the effect is, right? I literally give you the whole, whole breakdown. So what that means is it's just like doing a math problem. I didn't just give them – I didn't just take the problem and give them an answer to it. I gave them my work product. I showed them why, right? So here it is. Here Here is an explanation. of. So the synopsis is a very, very simple explanation of it. Right. This is just what it does. And then I have an actual breakdown and then I have the law. If you keep, you know, continue down further, you'll see that I've actually rewritten some of the language of the law. Mm-hmm. That right there, there's your fix legislatively. Now, do I think it can be fixed legislatively? Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry to be, sound so crude, but it's like one of those. No, Congress is constipated. They can't get shit done. Mm-hmm. That is the way it is. It's I don't know. Yeah. Here it is. Here's your fix. If they're not going to do it, there's not much I can say to do it. So the green sections here are mm-hmm. the additional sections. So the legislative intent, um, we talk about that to rearticulate the text in a way that, that realigns the court's application of, of 230 in line with the legislative original intent. That, all we're doing is we're saying here's what it was supposed to be, here's what it is, and here's what we're going to do to make it do what it originally did. That's it. Um, so that this right here is essentially, if you, yeah, it's exactly this. We're just trying to go back to what it was supposed to do and to restrain the courts from doing whatever they want. Apply the law as it was actually intended by Congress, who writes the laws. I would think Congress would be inclined to protect its power to write laws because otherwise, exactly. their laws are worthless if the courts exactly. just going to do what it wants. They've, they've been they've been uh, falling down on their responsibility for 150 years. And yeah. and the fact that the judiciary is legislating from the bench is because of the weakness that uh, Congress has displayed for the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that the Congress should look into the, the willful disregard for our constitutional rights in my case. I can prove it. I can prove that the courts doesn't care at all about my constitutional rights. What they did was... It, it was beyond negligence. It's clearly willful. Like we flat said to them, this is unconstitutional. They don't care. Well, they're supposed to care because they work for us, right? They are our servants. We are the masters. That is the way that our, our republic works is that we are the sovereign, right? And now you go back to the, um, mm-hmm. oh, what was it with Ann Vandersteel? Um, tactical civics, right? Mm-hmm. 
That's yeah. the point. We're the power, not them. Right. So now if you if you go back real quick on that on the document tabs, on the on the see me on the document tab. And yes, that is the the correct address. If you go back onto the documents tab, you can see. So FIC versus Facebook, that is the first run. The second run, I explain the CDA in kind of like simple terms in the CDA explain. That's a little bit older. It could be updated. I have Justice Thomas' statement in there, which basically mirrors what ours. There is FIC versus the United States, which they dismissed understanding. We, we never went back after it because we didn't have to because of the procedure rule 5.1. And then the last thing, um, the last two things, if you see override, free, you went a little past it, but you see the override form mm -hmm. selection act. Mm -hmm. I want to add one more thing. And this is because we're talking about Matt Rosendale being federal level, right? Mm -hmm. What about state level? Could a state do something, right? What was it Texas and, and Florida tried to, to enact laws? How do we, we get a state in fix? Montana? We did, did in Montana too. Well, um, yep. With the public. Is, does Montana system. fall under the ninth circuit? Yes, it does. And it sucks. Yeah. Okay, so see, there, there's one of the problems, okay? These cases keep going back to the Ninth, and the Ninth won't get it right, right? Because the ninth, I don't know what's going on with the Ninth Circuit. I don't want to make any accusations, but the reality like, is they've done a real terrible job. They're like most of uh, San Francisco. Exactly. So if you were to, say, come from Virginia, right? I think believe that's Fourth Circuit Court, right? Mm -hmm. In Virginia, if the state enacted a very simple law – that basically says, if you do business in our state, we override your form selection clause in your terms of service, and you can sue here. Now, that doesn't sound like much, right? But it is. It's huge. Why is it huge? Because if I can bring my case against Google, and I don't have to go all the way out to California to sue them. I don't have to go into judges that are doing the same nonsensical answers over and over and over again. I get new judges to look at it de novo that aren't going to necessarily make the same mistakes. They're going to consider the statute, what's called de novo, anew, and they're going to get it right. And then all of a sudden you create new precedent that conflict like Henderson Anderson completely conflicts with the Ninth Circuit. Hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you get conflicting decisions in different courts, and all of a sudden, got to go to the Supremes. Somebody's <laughs> got to get it right, and yeah. they can't. You know, it's going to be very hard to say that it was right in an unconstitutional posture, mm -hmm. rather than get it right. So, a state proposal would do the same thing, and it's very simple. If it's in the interest of the state to protect its individual state citizens, override the form selection. Done. They can do that. There's no reason they can't. So I just <laughs> showed you a state wow. way to fix the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I would hope that, you know, anybody that you, you know, I just gave you the solution to the entire internet problem. All of it's here, right? It's a very good, it's a good walkthrough. It explains what's going wrong, explains how to fix it. We can do it. It would fix free speech because they would have to become neutral forms again if they want liability protections. I mean, they, they can exert their First Amendment rights still, and they could still mm -hmm. take down – I mean, they could build – Facebook could, could change you know, its, its terms of service and say conservatives can't post on our site. They could do that. Mm -hmm. Probably would destroy their business, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. The difference is, is they if they represent themselves out to be a platform for all ideas, which is verbatim what – Zuckerberg said to Congress, then it needs to be a platform for all ideas, including vaccine hesitancy, 
including conservative values, including Christianity, including everything. That includes yeah, including uh, showing uh, two thousand mules. <laughs> Precisely, <clears throat> which Zuckerberg was part of the uh, funding for. Correct. Mm-hmm. It means that they would be committing fraud if they did it. It's negligent misrepresentation. It's illegal. It's and the point is, is that they can't just say, "I'm not a, I, I can't be a publisher." Done. That's not how it works. If they're bias in the in the delivery of their information right they're not just giving you what you ask for they're giving you what they want you to see mm-hmm. game over wow this has there been go, a gentlemen. great been a great two hours we're a little over on our time dan i uh i hope everything's okay in that regard but uh jason you've been a fabulous guest this is absolutely clear you did a wonderful job of explaining the whole process. We have the websites. People, you need to go to socialmediafreedom.org. You need to support this action. Uh, I'm going to. I can tell you that because our whole program is absolutely based on freedom of speech. And if we can't say what... Uh, what truthful things are, then we no longer have that right. So thank you for all this. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Thumper. Thank you for Beautiful. having me on. Uh, and, and and I guess the idea here is help me help you. Yeah, like, absolutely. We're, we're at the heart of this problem. We're, we're fighting it. We need support to do it. But we can get this done. You've done well, an we'll... excellent job. Thank yeah, you, this is a dynamite show. Dynamite show. I appreciate everything you've done. Anyway, uh, Dan, I guess we're going to turn it over to you. Uh, but uh, thank I, I want to thank our listeners, our viewers, for following this. I hope you got a clear picture of exactly where we are at with Internet censorship. It goes from economic to political to social to every aspect of our lives. If we don't stand up and take our country back and do it in this way, we will never have another chance. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas Oh, from sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say
there ain't no doubt.